This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It is that time again, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. The Marketing Geeks. The number one Rated business in business, podcast. marketing, and management. That's quite a feat. That's quite a feat. I am Andro Sturgeon. And I am Justin Womack. And we are here with special guest, Lisa X. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want to use her real name. Uh, <laughs> no, that's okay. I don't mind introducing myself. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So tell us, uh, who are you, Lisa? Well, um, I, I could tell you, uh, Justin, but mm, then I might have to, uh, well, I better not say on the live Pickle torture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but um, I'm happy to be here. And uh, I was asked to be part of the marketing geeks. And I have to tell you, being part of a geek squad is quite interesting. And when you asked me to be part of the geek squad, the first thing that came to mind is you are definitely getting the best buy. <laughs> and, I get it. That is and, and, and no pun intended there. But anyway, so yeah, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to share some information that might help you and your endeavors this evening. And uh, I'm looking forward to having some fun and some laughs. Well, what's really, what's really great about bringing you on the show, Lisa, is that I, I don't know if our listeners have noticed this, but Andros and I have this propensity to occasionally go off on tangents so we no run in, I know it's it's strange. I know. I mean, all our listeners are probably like, "What? What are you talking about?" But uh, all seven of our yeah, all, all all seven of our listeners. We are the number one rated podcast, by the way, and that's real. Go look it up. Look it first, up on iTunes. First of all, first of all, I just want to thank all of our listeners who have helped us to become the number one podcast in business. Thank you for listening. We 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 are going to up the ante. We have a now we feel we're taking it personally, so we're going to deliver the most awesome show ever. And we've brought Lisa in to keep us on task and to make this uh, to make this episode really hum and focus on marketing. So, Lisa, we have decided to postulate the question, and the question for the episode today is going to be what What are you deeply passionate about, and how does you know how does that tie into business? And that's really the episode today that we're going to be discussing. So, uh, why don't you 
go into that a little bit and let's uh, let's see your two cents here. Sure. Well, I'll give you five cents. Okay. How about that? And I think that one of the most important things that we need to look at, whether we're looking at the corporate world or private sector business, we need to take a look at what's out there in research. And Isaiah Berlin, I think, said it best when he wrote a parable many years ago about the hedgehog and the fox. Are you too familiar with that story at all? I, I, I am not. Is this, this isn't an Aesop's fable where you find out that the grapes were really sour or anything <laughs> like that. No, I mean, I did play uh, Sonic, the, Sonic the Hedgehog growing up. Right, but actually, I, right. I, I, <laughs> I, am familiar, I am familiar with the parable. Um, I, I, I'm loosely familiar, though. I mean, I, and I, I understand. Why don't you explain it to us? I think, I think Lisa's probably got a good grasp. Let's, let's let Lisa. So. Let's let Lisa put her take on it, and then I'll, I'll put my, my own spin on it, which will then warp everything out of, uh, out of sorts. And then I'll Lisa. make, I'll make a completely dumb joke about it. So let's, let's, let's do it. So okay, it. okay, here we go. Well, first of all, I see the two of you as fox. Okay, burn, you two are, are definitely fox because you know many things, yeah, but both of you are quite scattered. Okay, you're all over the place. I listened to your last podcast. You don't know me. Don't know me. Well, listen, I listened to your last podcast and, you know, I kind of fell apart because how could anybody diss The Little Mermaid? I mean, I still cry at the end of Disney's Little Mermaid. All right. You know what? You got sold a bill of goods. I hate to tell you, you got sold a bill of goods. Well, you know, at the end of the Little Mermaid, the um, the what is it? The the minister giving the um, giving <laughs> the vows. You know what happens to him in that movie? Do you know? Well, you know, I've watched it at least a hundred times, but maybe well, I, I, I didn't share focus with our on listeners. that. For those of you that don't know, and I, I think this is worth looking up. During the, the marriage during the marriage scene of the Little Mermaid, um, this is a little known fact, but it's true that Disney used to actually insert little sex jokes into their movies. So uh, you if you if you look frame by frame, you can see that the the minister actually does um what what do they call it in the streets? Um have he's, a... he's excited about his job. That's all. <laughs> he's just very very excited about his job. Okay. Anyway, and this ladies and gentlemen is why we we, you, we Lisa, to bring us back. Both of you though had this yeah. issue with okay, having sons and you have not had a daughter, so you don't understand that father-daughter relationship and being daddy's little girl. Every time I watch The Little Mermaid, I still cry. The first time I watched it with my father, he cried. And so you know, I was really upset with your last podcast. And I thought, you know, you really need to bring in a woman's perspective, because mm-hmm. even though you think you're saying something that's uh, maybe enabling women or, or, or bringing power to women, there are some things that we like about the fairy tales. There are some things that we like about Prince Charming coming to save us. So, you know, don't box us all in the same categories, please. Oh, man. Oh, man. Let me tell you something. If my if I found my little girl watching The Little Mermaid, that that's worse than pornography. I would just I would have to I would have to bury her in the sand as punishment. Oh, my goodness. Harsh. Just so you know, Andros, I brushed my hair with a dingle hopper this morning. OK, because my hair is so curly and it's quite crazy, actually. 
I know. I never. I don't even know what a dingle hopper is. That sounds. That sounds like something a priest would have under his robe while he was marrying a cartoon character. <laughs> your word of the day, ladies and gentlemen. Your word of the day: dingle hopper. The Little Mermaid used the dingle hopper, which was a fork, to brush her hair, to comb her hair. So, getting back to the fox and the hedgehog, the hedgehog people are about big ideas. They're decisive leaders. They're the visionaries. And the hedgehogs are people who really get into moving their companies from good to great, as Collins would so, say. So, so who would, like Elon Musk, a uh, hedgehog, or uh, would he be a fox? Well, you tell me. All over the place or someone who's a decisive thinker? I mean, when you... I don't know. He, he wants to get us to Mars. He also sells flamethrowers and electric cars. So you tell me. <laughs> and, and, solar, and solar houses, too. And solar houses. Okay, so here's the essence of... The essence of a hedgehog is this essence of profound insight of simplicity. Keeping things simple. And these are, these are people like Albert Einstein. Is there anything more simple than E equals MC squared? I mean, it's pretty simple. Uh, Freud, the unconscious, the id, the ego, the superego. Uh, you know, these are things that are, are quite quite simple. Adam Smith, you know, in the pin factory. So when you start looking at great minds and great great leaders, great thinkers, we have to take a look at the difference between the fox out there and the hedgehog. And so... Berlin really said it well with his parable. And what happened after that is business leaders started to say, okay, well, we're going to take Berlin's hedgehog concept, the simplicity of it, and put it into three circles. And I think Jim Collins in Good to Great, Moving Good Companies to Great Companies, even though it's it's a bit dated, really did a great job with this. And it's something that really needs to be considered with what you're doing in marketing because. So, so give me some examples. I'd like to hear some distinct examples of like how, you know, I, I'm still a little unclear as far as like this, the concept of like the head. So the hedgehog is like a single minded, single focused sort of individual. Big, big, idea. Fox, big idea. Big idea. So, so you would have, you would have like. Laser um, focus, uh, laser focus. Right ignore the rest so so could you say like so, martin luther king or gandhi would you would you say these are hedgehogs because i mean they really do seem to have singular focuses um civil rights and you know bringing uh, bringing peace is that would they would they qualify as hedgehog thinkers in your opinion yeah i think so i think so definitely hedgehog thinkers and uh when you start looking about at people who are the foxes out there you know, I mean, everybody likes to think of a fox as, you know, someone sly and cunning. cunning. Exactly, as we say at the same time. But there's there's a problem with that because they're all over the place and they can't focus on what has to be done to move their company from good to great. So I really like the parable and I really like the way Jim Collins takes his book, Good to Great, and then takes three fabulous examples of moving companies from good to great and says, okay, these are the three interconnecting circles and this is what we have to do. And one of the first things you have to do is say, what are we 
deeply passionate about? And I think you led with that, right? What are we passionate about? That's the essential question this evening. What? So, so here's, if, if I could throw out kind of a, a personal story, I, I used to, I, I, tell me if this kind of fits into it. I used to work for uh, the most loved company in America. It rhymes with Comcast. And uh, I got the job. In two- I think I know the one yeah. that rhymes with that. <laughs> you think so? Uh, so I, I, I got the job in 2006. You know, the, the iPhone was just introduced. Uh, Google had just acquired YouTube. And, uh, and Netflix was a DVD mail order company. And um, the fastest internet you could get was eight megs. And uh, within a few years, uh, Netflix suddenly had introduced their streaming service. Now, what, unbeknownst to me, what I didn't realize is the guy who was running Netflix, his goal was to create the largest movie studio online and deliver it streaming, right? He always had that vision, but he started off as a DVD mail order company, but he knew that's where he was going to go. And he just stayed with that vision. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I, when I first got the job, everybody had cable and then slowly people started disconnecting their cable like crazy. So a few years later, I had a chance to sit down with a VP of the entire region and I asked him, I said, listen, um, what are you guys going to do about, because they were asking various questions about the future of the company. And I said, what are you going to do about, the, about Netflix? And the guy looks at me, I swear to God, he looks at me and he goes, Netflix is not our competition. You know who's our competition? Blockbuster video. That's our competition. People going on a Saturday night to rent a movie. They're not watching cable. That's that's who we have to keep in in front of the TV. Can I add something and, real quick in there, Andros? Because uh, yeah. I just want to say this is the same guy that now just tried to buy uh, Fox Studios for how many billions of dollars? They tried to undercut Disney and steal Fox Studios away because now, years and years later, a decade later, or so they want to replicate the Netflix idea. So I know I know you're already going yeah. to there with that, but I wanted to add that as an yeah. additional example. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 they were able to uh, Disney was able to buy it for seventy one billion. Uh, but but the the but the interesting so so would you say that that kind of illustrates Lisa the 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 Netflix is the hedgehog, Comcast trying to get into all these other lines of business. They're more like the box. Sure, and and I think one of the best examples that most people who are listening could relate to is the drugstore Walgreens. Think about Walgreens. Where are Walgreens located? Shopping centers? Uh, no, not exactly, fellas. Where are they located? Residential communities. Okay, and they're always not, they're, not the they're always located on corner lots. Corner lots so that people can get in and out easily. And they have completely strived over the years to have a high profit per customer visit. So high profit per customer visit, not high sales, but every time a customer visits, they want to make profit from that particular customer. So they've really strived to be the most convenient drugstore, making it easy for people to get in, get out, get what they need and leave. And in my own community right now, Walgreens just purchased across the corner lot, the Rite Aid. Rite Aid's going out of business. Walgreens purchased it. And I'm hearing rumors now that Walgreens is going to move across the street because the parking lot across the street is more accessible than the parking lot that they're in. So they're willing to move their store and create a whole new store, revamp it, uh, renovate it, 
turn the Rite Aid into a Walgreens, spend all of the money because they know that if it's easier for customers to get in and out, depending on the traffic flow, they'll make more money per customer. So all for convenience. Exactly. The convenience, not having to wait at a red light for 30 seconds as opposed to 20 seconds. So, you know, so that would be a really great example of uh, a company that has truly figured out what their passion is. And then Collins takes these circles uh, and creates three circles of what businesses really need to, to look at. So what are you deeply passionate about? And once you identify that, then you have to be able to ask this question. And this is a question you bring back to your team. So my background is in leadership and uh, currently working on my PhD in leadership through McGill University in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And when I've been studying leadership for the last 20 years and practicing leadership on, on various levels uh, in education circles, as well as owning my own businesses, I can tell you that the very next question you have to bring your teams together to ask is, okay, we all know we're passionate about this, but now can we identify what we can be the best in the world at? Because people listening to your podcast, to our podcast, now that I'm part of this geek squad, although I have a problem with the word geek, okay? I am going to digress a little because... Well, we do talk about Star well, Wars. Well, you know, the, time, so. the word geek yeah. has a real negative connotation for a woman who finds herself to, you know, not be nerdy. So I would really prefer to be a woman that's more fashionably chic. Does that sound okay? Like the two geeks? Well, we can't. We, we can't be. That we can't be the fashionably no, no, no. chic. Uh, we could add a uh, subtitle. We could add a subtitle. Oh, so maybe marketing geeks and. And the yes, the, the marketing geeks with the guest star of the woman who is fashionably chic. Okay, so you know what that—that's a long damn title. I know, right I, I know, know but you know what? It's important that people. What if we just put an asterisk? What if we put an asterisk next to marketing geeks, and then um, somewhere in the uh, like in the footer section, there's a there's a little asterisk in small small print that says that. Marketing geek and the fashion speak. It's important for men and women out there who are listening to know that I have a vagina, okay? And that's important. And yes, and at no. the same time, you know. I have one too. It's, it's sitting on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it. That's great. But, you know, I think it's important for you to know that. And uh, that's also important for you to realize that. If we're going to work together, that fashionably chic fits my personality better because I want your viewers to be able to say, okay, all right, this is what- The viewers of our podcast? The viewers, your listeners. All right, I'm new to this. Bear with me. So back to the woman who's fashionably chic, describing what can we be the best in the world at? So you're listening in your car- you're listening in your car, you're listening at home, you're on your way to work, wherever you are right now, think about this. You are passionate about something because this is what's driving your ambition to move your business ahead. But what can you and your team be the best in the world at? And bringing your people together collectively is really important. And how well, do you get there? This is how you get there, okay? You have to start looking at moving away from the traditional P's of marketing. Now, you you fellas are the marketing geeks. You know what the P's of marketing from the dinosaur era represented, right? I mean, price, 
productivity or the yeah. product, the promotion and the place. And you have to start looking at 21st century skills. So I would suggest getting away from the P's. I'll never forget the boss that I had who always reminded what, what are the P's? Real quick, let's 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 rattle off what are the P's? Just so we so we know. Price. Uh-huh. Product. Uh-huh. Promotion. Mm. Uh-huh. And place. Oh, okay. Those are marketing traditions, okay? Straight now, out of the textbook. What's that? that oh, straight out of the textbook. Textbook marketing. Absolutely, Justin. And so I had a boss one time who actually was a businessman, but he was also an educational leader. And he had not only the four Ps, but he also had the six Ps. Okay, well, these were his six Ps. Proper planning prevents piss poor performance. Oh, I like it. Yeah, but you know what? You can only take so many peas. And then you say, okay, you know what? I've had enough of peas. Let's move to the 21st century, fellas. Okay, so as we start moving to the 21st century and we see more people who are hedgehogs, but also are working with people like you who are the jack of all trades and can do a little bit of everything and you're masters of the universe in many ways. And we start looking at what are the four C's that we need to move companies from good to great or to help them develop what they can be the best in the world at. And mm -hmm. then we start looking at creativity, critical thinking, communication, both written and verbal. Having good command of the language that you're speaking is incredibly important. And... Lastly, collaboration. Now, my background in marketing is really been more relationship management. Um, as a researcher, selling ideas, being able to advertise and get the right people on the right seats of the bus. Now, but I, I, I just when wanna, I do that, I, yeah, I, I just want to interject here because because one of the things uh, that you touched on just a second ago. I think is critically important, and that's the collaboration key. In fact, I, I, what I see uh, one of the biggest trends is uh, the uh, this idea of the, um, uh, the the modern entrepreneur working collaboratively with people. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of holacracy. Uh, for those of you who don't know, holacracy is a type of management system in which rather than having a top-down sort of management system with these C-level executives, you have these concentric circles of people who work together and form teams. And so like the marketing team and the sales team may actually have people who are doing both jobs. And even uh, some of the people who are on the design team may also work on the marketing team. So there's like this bleed over of people who have complementary skill sets and form these teams that uh, create project-based sort of initiatives. So I think I think that, and especially with the with the advent of more co-working spaces here in the Netherlands, there's a huge rise of co-working spaces. Uh, I, I live next to a town called Eindhoven, which is uh, known as the brainport of Europe. So all these uh, really great uh, startups are are all located here. So I see a, a lot of the the collaboration of of the future being uh, really important because a lot of uh, the old style of management was like. This is your job. It's in this box. And you're like, hey, I have an idea. No, we don't want to hear that. Just stick to your job, right? So, so I think that there's a lot of brain drain from that. People don't, are, aren't able to reach their full potential. So I, I, I'd like to just get your take on a little bit more about the collaboration piece on that. 
I want to add something here that um, those co-op spaces, the co-op uh, work, uh, working facilities are taking off here in California as well and probably yeah. across the whole United States, I assume. Oh, I mean, we have like WeWork, WeWork, um, you know, Regus. Uh, the, a lot of those companies have, have really uh, begun to take off here over time. And I do like what you said, Andros, and I do believe that we're moving more away from um, a competitive landscape in business and more towards cooperation. Yeah. So I, I, I think there's room for both. Because with the, the way marketing works now, I mean, there's, you can promote other people and get paid for it. So, I mean, there's this room to, to collaborate with your competitors and still be profitable. And I, I do think there's a changing, uh, a changing landscape that's already been developing, but it's only going to continue to grow. Absolutely. I, I remember when, when Obama got a lot of flack from certain segment of the population uh, when he said, you know, that, that it's important to pay taxes because you, you know, you don't build your business by yourself. And a lot of people are like, yeah, I built my business by your, myself. And it's like, no, no one really builds their business by themselves. They, they have to like, there is some form of collaboration, even if you're using technology, you have to use technology that other people have invented. So, so I think that across the board, it's something that, that is definitely kind of under, uh, undervalued on some level in a lot of ways. And I think if we get back to leadership, looking at collaborative leadership styles and positive leadership styles, and, and I like to use the word posititude, having a positive attitude always as a leader, even though there are times when you're a leader, you are going to be cautiously optimistic about what might be taking place. As a leader, you're always going to, you know, hold your head up high, you're going to smile, you're going to talk to your employees, but let's face it. If the employees share in the decisions that are made, they take ownership, they know that they're valued, and then it becomes part of their work and their passion to become part of being the best at whatever it is your company is going to be in the world. And they feel valued and they feel important and they're immediately given leadership status because they're taking on those roles. So empowering employees is huge. And that collaborate collaboration piece is one that I have just worked so hard to try to implement in a variety of different settings. And I like what both of you said about collaboration. And I think that, uh, you know, it could be something that we could work with companies, certainly doing uh, a workshop or a training episode uh, or whatever you want to call it, because I know you call this a podcast and this is new to me. So however you describe it to the folks out there is great. But I like to talk about collaboration and I like to go back all the way to the 1960s, 1965, I think. Bruce Tuckman said it best. Are you familiar with Bruce Tuckman's work? I am not. I'm not enlightened. Yeah. Okay. So Tuckman had what he called stages of group development. And when all groups come together to collaborate, whether you're talking two businesses working together to collaborate and sharing resources, or one business moving forward to develop what is their passion and what is their desire to be the best in the world at, which becomes part of their hedgehog concept, which, which we will get into. Tuckman had these four stages. When groups come together, they start with forming. They start figuring out who's taking which role. And then there's some storming. Okay. And storming's just like it sounds, you know, people are vying for different power positions and they're not agreeing. 
And the next phase becomes norming. They start developing ground rules and say, this is how we're going to work together as a team. And this is how we're going to set the norms for how we do business. And we're going to evaluate at the end of each day how we did working together. And then lastly becomes the performing stage. Now, 20 years later, Tuckman teamed up with some other people and he also added pieces to his forming, storming, norming, and performing that had to do with actually teams separating. But I don't think we should get into that because we're really talking about teams coming together right now for collaboration. Yeah. So, I just wanted to, to share that um, it's funny that these, these concepts, I'm not familiar with Tuckman, but these concepts um, have found their way into other industries. So I, I've come from a background in the seminar industry and uh, particularly I've worked with uh, people in the neuro-linguistic programming uh, training communities. So these are trainers that teach the concepts of uh, neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. Uh, now, one of the, one of the concepts, uh, I operated as a trainer under, um, under a facilitator. I was a trainer and they, uh, they taught these exact same concepts as we were um, forming small groups to teach them um, NLP over the course of a five-day seminar. So I, I just find it interesting because we actually went through each of these. We talked about how the groups form, uh, they storm, and they fight for who's going to have which role in the uh, in, in their little tribe. Um, they they get into norms when they finally settle down into these roles. And then uh, ultimately, uh, they get into a state of flow and performance. Um, and then uh, we did talk about the, the final stages where, because at the end of a five-day seminar, everybody's going to break and leave. And we did talk about how at the end there's like mourning and they're, uh, they're breaking apart and there's a dissolution of the group. Uh, but that uh, adjourning, adjourning, yeah. Okay. Tuckman calls it adjourning, and then after people adjourn or separate, then they mourn because they miss each other. They actually accomplished something, and they became a team. And that effort and hard work brought them together, and that uh, opportunity to be part of something bigger than themselves became yes. very real. What's amazing though is that after like even a five day seminar. Uh, after a five-day seminar, the, the people are crying, they're hugging. Like the, the the amount of connection that can form if they if they've truly gone through these different stages in such a short time is is pretty incredible to witness. Well, I've seen people actually sleep together after a five-day seminar. You know, so you know, shit happens when you're with a, a group of people and the cat skills for five days. You know, shit happens. So, uh, it depends what you're working on, fellas. But uh, you know, what kind of seminar are you going to? And can you sign me up? <laughs> so, okay. So, so first of all, I want to. I just want to backtrack a little bit here because uh, the the main thing. And this this has to do with more like team building and leadership, especially if you are running a business. It's it's very very important to uh, have these principles. I I've recently dealt with the CEO uh, of a company who was one of my clients, and uh, when I first got there, I know one of the things that I noticed is that the, there was no team building that was happening. That people had been working with each other for ten years, and there was never had been a company outing once. So uh, the first thing I, I suggested to the new CEO who stepped in, I said, you know, we should really do some sort of team building exercise, like a uh, like an escape room or something. A retreat, and he, exactly. And he, he kind of blew me off. And and the, the, then, you know, I was showing him kind of the marketing that I was doing. And he didn't really want to listen to what I was doing because he felt that he wanted to just see what the direction of the company was going to be. So, so what he was doing is coming in with a with a, uh, a machete 
and just kind of slicing away what he thought didn't need to be there and what did need to be there, rather than looking at the pieces that were around him and trying to figure out exactly how to pull them together and form that tribe. And, and I, I think that this is a really important aspect of it because whether you're doing a small project as a small business uh, or you're working with clients or you're doing any kind of collaborative project, the bringing together of the tribe is probably one of the most important aspects to developing uh, any kind of synergy so you can move forward and work collaboratively. And since we've, since we've talked about good to great a little bit and Jim Collins, um, he does mention, uh, um, significantly mentions that putting the right people in the right seats in the bus. And that's one of the indicators of success and why some companies thrive and succeed while others fail is having uh, the ability to do that. So um, Lisa, do you want to talk a little bit more about that concept? Well, well, first of all, I, I need to out Lisa uh, with with one one particular thing is that uh, one of her her superpowers, absolute superpowers, is that she ran helped. Can I can I say this that you you helped run a, a very large school district? So you had you you not only had teams of teachers, but you also had to deal with parents. You had to deal with students. Uh, you know, you had to deal with like situations where students are sexting one another or bringing weapons or on drugs. And you had to keep that place running and you kept it clean and you kept a tight ship. What, what would, how did you do that? Like, what was your, your methodology for bringing teams together and being an effective leader? Okay. Well, first of all, I lead with posititude. Okay. We've already talked about having a positive attitude all the time. And I'm also a strong instructional leader. So whatever I ask people to do, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to do it with them. And I don't expect anybody to do anything on their own. And I'm going to guide them through whatever process I'm asking them to do. But most of all, I'm going to set up a framework. So for example, when I was first an elementary school leader, school principal, I was on the job for two days and my superintendent handed me a competitive grant to improve our literacy program and receive $1.5 million. Well, I had been a principal for two days. I didn't even know the literacy program in the school district I was working. So I brought the teachers together and I said, just that. I don't even know the literacy program that you're using. However, we have the opportunity in one of the 13th poorest school districts in the state to receive $1.5 million to improve our literacy program. If you can give me three good reasons why we don't want this money, then we won't move forward. But if you want to move forward and you believe this is in the best interest of the children, because we're here for the children, that's our passion, children, that's why we're in education, then I need you to write this grant and it to be your grant. I'll give you the outline. I'll give you the framework. I'll order all of the supplies and materials. And then you pick out from the five core programs that are acceptable to the Reading First grant movement and initiative. You pick out what you want to use. You pick out the supplemental literacy programs you want to use. This is your grant. And I think part of this is an empowering people. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what I want. I just want to kind of break down piece by piece exactly what you did because it was brilliant. And uh, number one, what you did is, is you, you gave, you, you empowered 
people by saying, basically, you have you have the choice to do this or not do this. And if you do this, I want you to choose how you're going to do this. So first of all, you you got buy-in from everybody. You got you empowered people by giving them the choice to to opt in on on this, right? And, and number two, mm-hmm. go ahead. And, and then number two, you gave them ownership of how that would ultimately look. Yet you were so it was almost like you were using a like reverse psychology Jedi mind trick sort of thing. Yeah, it was that? it was completely Princess Leia. Yeah, and I, you know, and that and that gets back to you know me not being a geek. And definitely being chic, you know, the hair was really twisted in the buns on the side of my head and everything. But the point, the point that's really critical here is that I also sought out the healthy skeptics. I figured out in two days or three days who the teachers were, who were healthy skeptics, not cynical, but healthy skeptics. And I approached them and said, I need you on this team. Well, I don't want any part of it, blah, 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 blah. Well, I need you. The children need you. I made it about the children. The children need you because you have this knowledge set. And you know what? I knew in the back of my mind, if the healthiest skeptic, the biggest skeptic in the building was involved and I had buy-in from her, everybody else would be on board. So it's always important to know the players. You know, everybody, everybody you lead needs something different. Some people are going to need a pat in the back. Some people are going to need uh, a letter, and they're that a girl or that a boy folder. Somebody, are, you know, some people need a piece of chocolate. Some people need uh, public recognition. Uh, some people want you to go before the board and say this person did an amazing job. But you have to give everybody what they need as a leader, and uh, that's important. And when you find out what everybody needs, oftentimes it's that one-on-one approach and saying, the children need you. And you start dangling on those heartstrings. And before you know it, she was on board and she was the workhorse of the design team. So so I want to break down two more points. Yeah, real quick. Because I, I want to deconstruct two more things that you did here. So first of all, okay. you got everyone aboard. You you empowered them. You gave them the, the option. Then you sought out the person who was least likely to have buy-in and you, you brought them aboard, you got them to have buy-in, which, which, Absolutely. which made a psychological like flip in other people's minds. Like, Oh, well, if Lisa got that person, then this must be good. So it was a, it was a way to leverage the, the, the doubting Thomas, if you were, if you will. And then- yeah. What I like, what I like about, about this too, is that you, you sought out the dissenting opinions. And I think a lot of people uh, live in echo chambers of, of certain, of certain things. And I think, I think there's value, even if you totally disagree with it, I think that's okay. I think there's value in, in looking at alternative perspectives and then also uh, finding the higher good, even in, even in these negative, sometimes you, you, you might deem something as a negative perspective, but finding the higher good and, uh, in NLP, there's a, a term called chunking up. So if you if you if you know somebody has a certain intention, um, if you can find the the higher good, usually you can find agreement for that person uh, on some level. So I, I really I don't know if that's if you relate to that, Lisa, but that's kind of what uh, I can relate to it. And I also think that one of the most important things that I delivered, or the most important message that I delivered to my my employees, was this. It's not whether or not you can live 
with the decision that the design team makes. You have to support it. Living with something is not a high enough standard for Lisa G. You have to be able to support it. If there's something that you don't like, if there is a decision that's made by the design team, even though all of the stakeholder groups have a say and design team members reported back to their constituents, if there's something you don't like, you have to speak up because we have to support each other. In order to support each other, I need everybody saying, I support this initiative. I believe that we want the $1.5 million to improve literacy programming and instruction for children in a poor rural school district. This is important. It's our passion. It drives what we want to do, what we want to be in the best, the very best in the world at. And therefore, I support it. I'm never going to say in front of Lisa or my peers, my colleagues, well, I don't really like this, but I can live with it. Living with it's not a high enough standard for me. If you're a good leader, you want support. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, Justin and I have worked on on several projects together. And when we, when we work on something, you know, because traditionally with our company, what we do is we uh, we build websites, we create marketing campaigns, we do social media campaigns, and uh, we do it for a very cost-effective way. But when we deliver our projects, we don't let it go unless somebody really, when they get it, they're just like, I love it. This is exactly what I wanted. I'm communicating exactly the right way, and I have ideas that uh, I haven't really thought about. Uh, so I, I think that that this is really key too, because not only do you have to form your tribe, you have to bring people aboard. You have to find out that doubting Thomas. You have to empower them to make the decision to, to move forward with, with what, what they want to do. But, but they've also, you've, you've got to deliver something that, that, that people will love. And, And that's a, that's a tough call because as they say, a giraffe is really a horse built by a committee. So when you're dealing with all these people, you know, so, so how do you overcome that? If how do you, how do you deliver a horse? Which, uh, which committee picked the spots? Yeah. Who voted here's, here's, here's how you do it. Okay. Fellas. Oh, you are, I'm going to call you my foxy babies. Okay? Oh, yeah. uh, my, my foxy babies. All right. Now I am truly a hedgehog, but this is what you do. You say, all right, I'm flying this plane and it's 30,000 feet in the air. And Just don't be, we don't have, be Harrison Ford when you're flying. <laughs> right. Okay. Definitely not. I'm flying a plane 30,000 feet in the air and we have to make some changes and we have to make them right now. And the only way we can fix a plane while it's 30,000 feet in the air is by one of the C's. Which C? Communication. Okay. So you have to have incredible communication between the pilot and the ground crew. You do not want that plane to crash. You do not want your business to fold. You do not want employees to lose their jobs. And you, you, you have to do everything that you can to keep the plane in the air. So that desire to save lives becomes part of a passion that leaders have for making lives better for the people who work for them okay. and with them. So, so what you're, what you're, what you're saying is basically like, you have to look at it almost like it's uh, Apollo 13 and there's uh, 
there's your your uh did you ever see apollo 13 <laughs> i saw i saw the little mermaid okay give me well, a break i, I the, the metaphor to me it's a lot about dealing under pressure too i mean if you're if you're in a plane and you're having to fix a major problem while you're in the sky um, you want to you want to be able to create a clear, actionable plan. Know the precise steps. Have the right players doing the right parts, um, and and getting it accomplished. So uh, it's it's how like how effective are you managing under pressure too? Uh, that's that's going to be uh, going to be key here. But then I, I do like what you said too, Lisa, about you you have to have some uh, empathy for your business and for wanting um, wanting to see the success of the company, uh, even if it you know even if it means you know, you want to keep you want to keep your employees, even if it means uh, you know costing short term profits. I mean, I, I imagine that that would tie into this because um, you're you're wanting the success of your company long term. Is that right? Well, and, and not only that is you're looking at the creativity and the critical thinking part as well. And and I think everything that you just summarized, Justin, has to do with strategic planning and how do we help businesses strategic plan. And that's one thing that I've focused a great deal on in my, my career for 25 years and 20 years studying leadership, you have to be able to look at the situation and say, okay, here's where we are now. We have to face the fact that we're not very good at this. We're okay at this. We're mediocre at this. We have to have a stop doing this. We can't do this stuff anymore. It's outdated. And we need to move forward, but in order to move forward, we really need a strategic plan. And it really relates back to the plane. Where are we right now? Where do we need to go? What's our passion? And not only what is our passion, but what can we be the best in the world at? And how are we going to get there? Awesome. So I, I will say, um, I, I want to just tie this into, you know, even our, our smaller businesses. And uh, there's a few things that you said there that really like struck with me. Well, number one, Let's just say that Andros and I, this show, uh, and you too, Lisa, we are the best in the world at podcasting at this very moment. So I didn't want because to because we do a- have the number one podcast in business according to iTunes, On planet Earth. Um, but uh, but I, what I also heard there was uh, the the idea of having um, a things not to do list or however you worded it. But it's so true that it's so easy to get consumed with these menial tasks that feel important in the moment. Uh, but when you take a step back and you think about, is this actually like a revenue generating activity or is this actually moving me closer to my ultimate goal as a business owner? Oftentimes those tasks are are really just time sucks and time fillers. And they're almost like excuses of ways to to stay stagnant and stay in the same place. And so uh, that I mean, that's the way I've related to it in my business. There's been so many things that uh, I get consumed by email, email, one of them uh, getting trapped in my day to day emails, um, just uh, getting getting trapped in the in the menial in the menial or checking you know I'll hop on the news and lose track of myself like reading articles on the news or or you know social media. How like many that. how many emails are you getting a day, Justin? Just so I can I can uh, get a get a, a basis oh, me, uh, of where you're at. Uh, this is going okay. So uh, warning, this may offend you. I'm gonna I just want to tell you how many emails I have that are not read in my inbox at the moment on my iPhone. Uh, Two hundred eighty six thousand four hundred ninety four unread emails. Okay. And that's not your spam folder. No, that's, I mean, that I, I what I do is uh, every day I'll scroll, <laughs> I scroll through, I scroll through 95% of my emails. I don't even open because they are spam and they don't get filtered out. And I haven't really taken the time to do that. So listen, folks, if you're listening to the podcast right now, the number one podcast out there in the world, you need to make sure that if you're sending Justin an email 
send a very provocative picture with it. So he will open that immediately. And that's true. Uh, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a copywriting guy. Uh, if, if the headline, if the headline strikes me, I will open it and I will, you know, I'll, I'll look at it just for the sake of, Oh, can I use this in my business? Is this, is this something that uh, I think I can replicate or, uh, or model? So uh, yes, copywriting matters. Just to switch, just to switch gears on this particular subject. And I, I'd like to actually, our next show, I'd actually like to talk about compelling copy and, and what that looks like. But, but what, Justin, what is it that would make you open an email versus not open an email? Uh, number one thing will be that I know the person that sent it to me. And more often than not, I'm on, you know, I, I subscribe to everything and I, I have all my emails and, you know, I have, I have about 12 email addresses that are linked to my iPhone. And most of those email addresses are, are just uh, there for various purposes, things that I sign up for. And I don't want, um, I don't want people to send to my personal email. So I don't give that one out. Uh, but the uh, most of those emails are just totally going. Uh, they're just spam. They're, they're email lists that I subscribe to because I want to see what people are doing in the marketing world. Um, so if I don't know you, I'm probably not going to open your email unless you are a world class copywriter. Then that's that's the bottom line. Hmm. Lisa, what what uh, what kind of emails will you uh, will you open? Do you open all your emails or do you just ignore some? Like, is there some that you definitely will open? Okay, so. I open every email and if it's an email from somebody trying to sell me something because I've purchased something from them before, like, oh, you know, a major clothing company, because again, it's very important to me to not look like a geek, but to be chic. So, you know, I don't need another pair of shoes. So I then go in and unsubscribe to certain emails. So I I do find myself doing that quite frequently lately because I can't keep up with all of the the garbage email. But everybody who emails me, I read the emails and I try my best to respond to those within 24 hours. Hmm. Yeah. Just to piggyback on what you're talking about, I do want to just make a, um, a caveat here that email marketing is not dead though. Even though even though someone like me, you know, I, I have thousands and thousands of email I'm not the the target market for an email marketer, uh, not anymore anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But the average, your average end user, if you if you write compelling copy and you do a pretty good job, you can get about a thirty percent plus open rate on uh, on email marketing, even if you are selling something. Um, and and if you're really really good at your job, you can get something like a fifteen to twenty percent click through rate, meaning that they if you had a link to a sales offer or a link to anything. Uh, you actually get a click off of that email to the next page. So I, I just want to say that uh, because we're we're kind of talking about like ignoring emails, um, and one of my professions is email marketing. That even though uh, I am not in the ideal average uh, ideal person to reach with email marketing, uh, it's still one of the most powerful techniques that people can use in their business to um, to quickly uh, to quickly grow their revenue. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's, but it's true that there's a lot of people that are, are like me, <clears throat> but there's also 30% of the population still opening emails. Huh. So. Interesting. Yeah. It's a, email is a tricky thing because um, especially the way that it's filtered out. And so I, I think that, you know, what I, what I'd like to do is uh, on our next, cause we're running out of time here. And I, um, but I, I think that we should really address like the importance of copywriting and especially Lisa, since you're so, uh, you're so amazing with the uh, with the language. Uh, 
you know, what, what makes for compelling copy? I mean, there's, you know, the, there's always been this argument about uh, who would you rather be? Would you rather be the writer who wins the Pulitzer Prize or would you rather be Stephen King? Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> well, and, and to that to that end, Andros, like in the book, um, it, David Ogilvy, who's a guy that I talked about in a previous episode, who was like a 1950s Mad Men era um, advertising genius. He, the first like couple paragraphs in his book, he talks about, I'd rather be the guy that actually sells with my advertisement than the guy that wins the awards. I don't care if people love my uh, love my ads. I care that they're actually selling and converting. And that's the same kind of thing. I mean, it's are you actually getting results or are you, a, you know, a company that's just creating ads that people love, like Super Bowl spots that are fun, but maybe they don't convert that well. So, I mean, what if you're really investing money in, in advertising, the end result should be um, the numbers should should be there to support it. Well, of course, didn't you both this past year of in the last three years send in your Doritos Super Bowl commercial to see if you'd win? I didn't. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you you could have won a million dollars by having the best commercial. So many times. The first time I ever heard about Bitcoin, it was 35 (laughs) bucks. But, you know. Could have, should have, would have. So, so let's 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 uh, recap uh, everything that we've learned here today. So, number one, we have uh, we have this idea of the hedgehog and the fox. The hedgehog is the single-minded entrepreneur or leadership person who has a vision and sticks with that vision all the way to the end. Where the fox is more of the lateral, uh, does a lot of different things and uh, just kind of moves with the energy of something but doesn't quite have a single focus. We talked about uh, the, the, uh, the P's, which are? Price, product, promotion, and place. All right. We talked about the C's, which are? Creativity, critical thinking, communication, and collaboration. And, and the importance of collaboration, bringing it all together, having a good team. And, uh, uh, and, and the thing that I really, the big pull away for me, Lisa, was, was how you were talking about the concept of developing the team by bringing together a project, empowering people with the, with the choice of being part of the project or not part of the project. You, you give people the opportunity to buy in so they, they have the opportunity to, to be part of a team. Uh, and then they, uh, uh, once they're part of the team, you look for the doubting Thomas, if you will. You bring that person aboard, get them to buy in, and uh, and then ensnare everybody with a uh, an emotional uh, pinpoint of, of of where the tribe is going to circle around the campfire, if you will, of the tribe. What is the thing that we're all here to do? And uh, that's the way you bring together. Uh, the leadership of these people. So uh, I, I think that that those were the things that that really stuck with me uh, in this conversation. Uh, what about you guys? What what was the big takeaways? Well, I I would just like to to leave with the fact that my mentor, my favorite boss in the entire world, in the world of leadership, will have his ties and his musical socks in the leadership hall of fame always said this it is much better to have a skunk on the inside pissing out than the outside pissing in amen (laughs) interesting i love it i love it i love uh i love 
powerful metaphor stories like that. That's a, that's a good one. Um, my, my key takeaways. I mean, I learned that Andros and myself are, um, very powerful foxes. We are, uh, incredible. You are foxy. Incredible mm-hmm. foxes. Uh, that's one of our superpowers. I think if people could actually see you, the ratings would go sky high. Oh, wow. Thank I, you I don't know. I think, I think we would still have seven listeners because we'd get some that would come on, but then some of them would just drop off as soon as they saw, saw what I really looked like. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, um, now, have you uh, have you ever seen the movie City Slickers? Who's seen City Slickers here? You guys uh, seen it? I, I have. Yes. Do you remember the scene where uh, Jack Palance? I don't even remember. Was it Curly? I think he plays Curly in that movie. He uh, he has a scene where he he gives the secret of life, and in the in that scene, he says that the secret of life, and he just holds up one finger and he says it's it's one one thing, and it, it's funny uh, because that to me that whole idea of the secret is really mastering one thing uh, kind of ties into this idea of the hedgehog concept and being a true, true expert and master at, uh, at one specific craft. Uh, in my experience, I've met a lot of hedgehog leaders that uh, make more money than the ones that I've known that have been more Fox-like. And, and I, I am a Fox-like, uh, I am a Fox-like being, uh, but I've known some. I've known some very, very successful hedgehog thinkers. So it, this is powerful stuff. I, I love it. I love it. Um, what else you got? Uh, Lisa, what was your big takeaway? Well, I really need to get more information from Justin about this whole copyright world. I mean, this is this is exciting information. I think it needs to have a a, a, a date that maybe maybe next time we meet we can we can certainly do a podcast related to the information that he has to share because it's, it's so critical, so important, cutting edge. And and I and I'd mentioned I think we can talk more about uh, Robert Cialdini's work. Um, and he wrote two books that I find to be very very strong with copywriting. And those are uh, Influence and Persuasion. So not Persuasion, but Persuasion. Um, so I, I will be referencing those books um, periodically when we do that episode. But those, if, for those of you that want to get better at copy and learn about like psychological um, indicators of or buying behavior. Uh, check out those two books. They're they're uh, excellent resources. Okay, so so let's leave everyone with a homework assignment, uh, all of our listeners, because we are here to empower you and make you better. Uh, I think that uh, what should our what should the homework assignment be for the week? Well, you know, my staff, I gave them this homework assignment. I said, "What are we passionate about?" And then what? Do we want to be our hedgehog concept? What is it that we can be the best in the world at? And after two weeks of working together, strategizing, even hiring substitutes, because I wanted them to know that the time spent out of the classroom was more important than time that they could spend in the classroom because if you do all of the hard work up front, things will fall into place for the children because everything's going to be the way it needs to be to move forward. So I think one of the most important things was the teachers came back to me and they said, our passion is children and our desire to be the best in the world is that putting children first always, even if it's our lunch break and we are starving and a child needs us, we're going to put that child first. 
And they did that. So that's that's a, so so I'd like to know like and so please leave a comment. You can you can contact us uh, uh, through uh, through our website or through uh, leave a comment. I, I would love to know what are you passionate about. What is the thing that is is driving you? And are you a fox or are you a hedgehog? I think uh, we should we should definitely. I'd love to hear what what people are uh, passionate about there. So. Um, Marketing geeks. Marketing, marketing geeks. Marketing geeks. Marketing geeks. I want to thank again everybody who's been listening to the show and has uh, made us the number one business podcast on iTunes. Thank you. We couldn't do it without you, people. And uh, this show is brought to you by Star Child Interactive. If you are looking to build a website, start a marketing campaign, uh, do some email marketing, create some landing pages, accelerate your business, uh, Star Child Interactive is the place you can find them at starchild.us. That's starchild.us. We are excited to serve you in any way. We will see you next week and we'll talk about copywriting, email marketing, more geeky stuff. Thank you, everybody. From the Netherlands, it's Andros Sturgeon. I can't wait to read the emails. <laughs> Stay classy, people. Stay Justin classy. may not read them, but I will. <laughs> Stay classy. Stay classy. <laughs> <laughs>